The views expressed in this podcast are only those of the individuals featured on this show and do not in any way reflect the official policy of the United States government. If you're interested in learning more about the impact of labor on economic growth and political stability, particularly from a Southern African perspective, please subscribe to Leading Labor. Here, we have difficult, honest, and open conversations that seeks to explore the multifaceted impact labor has and continues to play in the Southern African region from trade union leaders, activists, researchers, and everyday workers like yourself. Please join us as we discover why Southern Africa is truly leading labor. Unemployment in South Africa has hit a record high, and worryingly, that's even before the impact of COVID-19. Mozambique is quite a vast country, huge, and there are some areas that are very remote and very difficult to reach. We are working this in, con- in, in conjunction with the USAID. So uh, together with the Ministry of Health, we are ensuring that at least the private sector is incorporated into the process. This is a video put out by the Zambian Ministry of Health. Yet what we know from health worker testimonials is that the mortuaries are full, the hospitals are full, there isn't enough oxygen nor PPE. So Bern, do you mind just briefly introducing yourself and describing um, and just a little bit about what you do at the ILO? Absolutely, and, and, and thanks for having me on this, on this, on this podcast. So my name is Ben Müller. I am the employment specialist with the ILO, the International Labour Organization, uh, and their office here in Pretoria, South Africa. Uh, I'm part of a team we call the Decent Work Team. And the role of that team is to support, provide technical support to our constituents, uh, who are the governments and the workers and employment organizations in Southern and in Eastern Africa. And my role in that is particularly to look at employment policies, employment programs, and helping our members, our constituents in these countries to to improve uh, employment outcomes and then create more jobs, basically. No, thank you. No, that's actually um, um, a very critical job, especially when you look at what's happening. Now, would you say, let's say ho? Yes, sir. Indeed, I would definitely agree with that. Um, we look forward to hearing what you have to say in the topic. I think it's really important to have conversations about issues of employment, particularly from the African perspective, or at least about the continent. And as we think more carefully about the impact of COVID-19, there has been so much talk over the past two years about COVID-19's impact on certain regions of the world. But when it comes to Africa, I feel like the conversation has lacked a bit of nuance and hasn't been adequately contextualized. So I hope today's conversation would do a couple of things. I think it will hopefully highlight the impacts of COVID-19 on a continent that's rich and diverse. And of course, we can't really talk about every aspect today, but I really do think unemployment and employment issues are bread and butter issues that are constantly overlooked, but are definitely central to how we understand the future of the continent, but also the current conditions the continent is is happening or the current 
issues that the continent is facing. But before we get into what's happening now, what has happened over the past two years, I was wondering if you can talk briefly about what was the situation in the region or on the continent more broadly before COVID? Sure. And then thanks for that. I, I really appreciate the way you're framing this, by the way. And then maybe let me start with that. And let me put some context to that. Now, I, I am a development economist by training. And then if you study development economics, particularly in the context of Africa, you will hear terms about poverty, of course. You will hear about livelihoods. You will hear about agriculture and rural development a lot. Maybe child labor, these sort of things. Uh, famines, undernutrition, those are the topics that you often talk about. Now, very curiously, when people talk about development in the African countries, they don't talk that much about employment. They don't talk about labor markets. And I think this is, this is quite curious to, to say the least, because of course, when we think of, of Western countries, Europe, America, wherever, uh, richer nations, Jobs are the, 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 the mainstay and the center of any political discourse, but that is very different in Africa. And I think for all the wrong reasons, because indeed we need to talk about employment. So I'm really grateful how you, how we frame this and how we start this conversation, because indeed we need to bring employment and labor issues much more to the forefront of these, uh, development debates, if I can put it that way. So, so I absolutely agree with you that this is very crucial. Now, more concretely to your question about the employment situation in, in Southern Africa, uh, even before. Now, first of all, it's very clear that employment is a huge challenge in many countries. Um, when we think about Southern Africa, the, the most dominant economy, of course, is South Africa itself. And here we're talking about unemployment rates before COVID of around 29 or so percent. Now, that's staggering levels of unemployment. And, and then, and of course, South Africa is a bit of the extreme case, but even in the neighboring economies, unemployment rates are really quite high, particularly in the middle income countries. Um, in other countries, those who are more on the low income side of the, of the spectrum, slightly poorer nations, unemployment itself is maybe not the main problem. There you often see that the, the unemployment rates are not that high, but what you see there, much more so is you have very low productivity levels. You have very high levels of underemployment. So people do a little bit, but not enough to get by. And then you have very high rates of informality and very high rates of uh, what is called working poverty. So people who are employed on paper, but are not earning enough to be out of poverty. And that's a huge issue in particular in the uh, in the African context, where in a lot of cases, particularly in rural areas, people are officially employed by the definition, but they don't earn enough to, to lift themselves out of poverty. And that's, of course, very tragic, especially because their, their conditions are very, their conditions of employment are very harsh. So, yeah, there's a lot of challenges. Well, you talk about a lot of challenges. I remember reading a quote that stood out, and it said that according to the World Bank, Southern Africa has the highest unemployment rate in the world. And that to me was a shocking statistic. And I think after hearing you describe the unique challenges, it makes sense to me why 
unemployment is not only so high, but how COVID-19 might have exacerbated a lot of existing challenges that perhaps were overlooked, but were currently there, especially in the case when you look about, you know, the issue of unemployment. Yes, indeed. So, I mean, that statistic is, of course, dominated again by, by the, the unemployment levels in South Africa, which are very high, but also neighboring countries like Namibia and Botswana, which also have quite high uh, unemployment rates. So, so for sure, we would expect that. I mean, that tells you a story of vulnerability, uh, if you, especially if you bring in the, the, the side of inequality in these countries, very, very high levels of inequality. So it tells you that a large share of the populations in these countries are incredibly vulnerable, uh, who often work in informal conditions, who don't have access to social protection systems, who don't have formal work relationships where they have some security of employment or anything like that. And maybe then also if they're close to the poverty line, who of course don't have the savings or the or the or the, or the, or the uh, the background to be able to make it through such a crisis as the one that we're experiencing right now. So if you put all of that together, you won't be surprised to, to hear that, that many people have suffered even more than, than people in richer nations have suffered. Even more people have really uh, borne the brunt of this crisis here in terms of employment and, and their, their, their incomes and livelihoods. So what what is the current case on the ground right now? I mean, that was a situation prior to um, COVID. Now, what are we facing now? And especially if you turn on the news, the CNN, and everything, everyone's focused on this kind of singular narrative about how it's impacting certain regions and how they're responding. But what is the current situation and how is it impacting Southern Africa? So, well, clearly, many people's first and have lost their jobs. I mean, we from the ILO, we have done some estimates on the, and then they're, we're doing recurring estimates and, and modeling of the situation. And, and we have estimated, I believe the latest figure was that around 50 million uh, full-time jobs in terms of have been lost in terms of the working hours. So working hours have been lost in the whole of Africa to the tune of around 15 million jobs. Now that's that doesn't tell us really that much. I mean, is that a lot? Is that not so much? These are very abstract figures, aren't they? But what you clearly find is that um, maybe to give you another statistic, over the course since the 2000s in the whole of Africa. We had a constant decline in, again, working poverty. So people who are employed but are below the poverty line, that number of people has, or the share of the people who are employed but still poor has reduced again and again over at least the past 20 years, constantly. So that was a major success in progress in terms of uh, our strive to improve, uh, uh, reduce poverty on the continent. Now, between 2019 and 2020, for the first time in over 20 years, that rate has shot up again. So that's to me, Laseho, what do you think? That's kind of alarming that the 20-year progress that has really the continent has made is being rolled back. 
that's 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 that to me that that's striking. But you don't hear much about that. What do you think, Lesejo? I think you're quite right. It is very alarming that you know um, the last two years have literally shattered what we thought um, was starting to be an upward climb in terms of you know employment um, changing in South Africa. Um, the current unemployment rate, as we know, is the highest um, in the world, um, according to um, various sources. I mean, sitting at 36%, um, it is very alarming. Uh, so it is very interesting, um, you know, to hear what the ILO is also saying about all of this. And I guess it's going to be very interesting to see how we come out of all of this post the pandemic, if there's ever going to be a time post the pandemic. Or the main question should be, how do <laughs> That's we That's the real start... question, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or maybe the real question should be, how do you restart building within the pandemic? You know, because everybody's now pushing things to post-pandemic, post-pandemic. But what if there is no post-pandemic? What is it that we can do now to start, you know, um, normalizing if that's even a thing to do and seeing how do we now bring back, um, bring down the unemployment rate and start seeing employment rise in South Africa? Exactly. We can't go post-pandemic if 40 million people or 50 million people have lost their jobs. I mean, that they're not thinking of post-pandemic. They're thinking about the current mm. reality of not having they definitely thinking eat, now. not having wages. And so, but I know that there has been a lot of government interventions, particularly in the United States, but what have governments in the region, how have they responded to COVID in terms of um, the labor market interventions, have they been successful? Also there, we get quite a diverse picture. So on the one hand, there are governments like South Africa, the maybe the most advanced or most wealthy nation in the, in the sub-region here in, in Southern Africa. They have done quite a lot. They have the uh, tempor temporary employment relief scheme, uh, they have the presidential employment stimulus. I'm not going to go into all the detail what, what is part of that, but there's a, quite a wide range of initiatives that were designed in order to stem this and try to keep people afloat, basically, to, to not really completely fall into unemployment and poverty. And I think they've been quite successful to quite an extent, extent here, even though uh, even... Uh, even in South Africa, due to COVID, the unemployment rate has gone up, you know, at 35%. I mentioned before COVID was 29 so there still has been a significant increase despite all these measures. Now, that is almost a bit like the best case scenario in terms of measures that you can expect in this region. And all the other countries around have not been able to mount the same type of response because they have less fiscal space, the, the political situation is maybe not that stable and so on and so forth. Many different factors are going to it. And there, we have seen much less concerted efforts to respond to the crisis. And they have been, uh, yeah, much less able to respond to it and, and uh, keep the economies going, basically. And still, of course, we know that nevertheless, despite these measures, South Africa is the one economy that has been impacted the most. And that is, of course, because South Africa is so much more integrated in the global economy due to its size, due to the, the, the fairly relatively industrialized nation of the, of the South African economy. Uh, therefore, they have also been more vulnerable. So whichever way you turn it, um, the impact has been massive. So what I'm hearing um, is that a lot of the challenges are 
unique to the context of Southern Africa because of South Africa and what it, the role it plays in shaping and impacting the economies in the region, but also the kind of interconnectedness. Um, so the interconnectedness, rather, of the region. Southern Africa, the, the conditions are very different amongst countries. So on the one hand, you have countries like, uh, let's say, Zambia, who are commodity experts. They're reliant on the copper uh, uh, industry, for example. Botswana, heavily reliant on diamonds and other mineral resources, similar for Namibia. Angola is highly reliant on oil production, on oil exports. Now, they're extremely dependent on global prices and commodity prices, which have slumped over the pandemic. Then you have other countries like, let's say, Lesotho, Eswatini, uh, Zimbabwe to a certain extent, who are much more reliant on the South African economy, because as a major economic draft force in, in the region itself. Uh, so, and all of so, so on the one hand, you have the commodity exporters who have clearly been impacted, those who are de dependent also on tourism, maybe. And then you have those who are dependent on South Africa. And South Africa itself, of course, has, has had the, the highest um, pandemic impact in the whole of Africa in terms of cases and, 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 and the, the fallout through the lockdown and so on. So put all those together. And again, the region as a whole has been really heavily impacted. Do you see, I guess, we think about a way forward um, in terms of the employment kind of narrative or the challenges, what is the ILO thinking of what needs to happen in order to adequately address the challenges that existed prior to COVID, but that have been exacerbated because of COVID? Right, so in this situation, clearly, it's in a situation of crisis, and that's mainstream economic thought. It is the government needs to step in in order to support the economy, get the economy going again. So what, and and that's what all the richer, more industrialized nations in the West and the global North have done. They have heavily pumped uh, fiscal resources into the economy what we call fiscal policy or fiscal stimulus into the economy in order to keep the economies growing. But you said that was a big challenge here. So do they have do they have the same level of options or the same type of options, you know, the countries That's in the region as they as other Western more um, you know developed countries have? That's exactly the point. So you, you your first question was what is needed. Uh, but, but achieving this in the context of the countries here is much more difficult. So the countries here have much less fiscal space. They have, uh, because of uh, uh, generally a slightly higher rate of indebtedness, perhaps, but also being uh, uh, a bit more vulnerable to, to um, uh, 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 interest rates and so on. So, so they have less fiscal space in order to respond in the same manner. So what you see is while COVID at the beginning of the crisis has affected all countries almost to the same extent, there was a huge impact on the global economy, no matter whether in Africa, Europe, or, or, or in Asia, or certainly Latin America, Asia maybe to slightly lesser extent. But then the question was about the recovery. And there you now see a huge divergence because richer nations are able to mount this fiscal stimulus and bring their economies back up 
And that's where you now see the diversion because in most African nations, this is much less possible. Many other countries are struggling to do that outside South Africa and maybe other richer African countries like Mauritius or Seychelles. Uh, the governments are really struggling to, to come up with the economic uh, fiscal, the economic stimulus package or recovery packages uh, to bring the economies and the employment back up. Uh, and so now you see uh, a diverge, divergence in that extent that the recovery is much stronger in other parts of the world, unfortunately. So those who were already falling behind globally before the pandemic and before the crisis are now even falling further behind because they're not managing to catch up, so to speak, as, as quickly compared to the other nations. And then we have to talk about vaccinations. We will talk about in another podcast. And it just seems like with the vaccination rate being so low, which if it was higher, it would create the opportunities and space um, to have less, rely less on government intervention. But, you know, there will be um, a population that is protected to the various changes and variants and stuff like that. So, um I think it's just, it seems like it's a confluence of several factors that has made the COVID challenge more pronounced here in the region. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have estimated that vaccination rates are actually a very good predictor for labor market recovery. And the reason for that is, of course, the higher vaccination rates, the the lower your hospitalizations are going to get, the lower your death rates are going to get, and therefore there's a lesser need for severe lockdown action. Now we have lower vaccinations right here in Africa, as you said, indeed. So also the, the governments have been uh, tended to, to come up with much more stringent lockdown measures in order to not have the health services being overrun. And as a result, the labor markets here have been much more uh, 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 constrained, uh, has have been much more confined, and and again, therefore, the recovery has not been made so uh, so so quick, so to speak. So indeed, it's a it's a range of factors that contribute to this, but all of them seem to be exacerbating existing inequalities within and between countries. Most definitely, and I I definitely want to return to a point you made just to emphasize because I I just it it's not lost on me, but I, I want to make sure our audience understands that COVID increased the working level poverty that was has been a steady decline for 20 years. So that to me is just a shocking um, refrain on what is happening, especially from looking at it from a labor lens. But looking at it beyond the labor lens, what are the more broader labor implications for this change? So what we have seen is that over the, the period since around 2000, the, what we call the working poverty rate, so the people who are employed but nevertheless still live in poverty across Africa, that working poverty rate has steadily declined over the course of the past 20 years or so. Every year it was a bit lower and lower. And that was a major achievement in terms of our general global fight against poverty, right? Now, what we've seen for the first time since the early 2000s is that uh, in Africa from 2019 to 2020, the working poverty rate 
has increased from 31.8% to 34%. So that was a huge jump. And within, within this one year, basically this pandemic or this crisis has brought us back to the level of around 2013, 2014 in terms of working poverty. Again, people who are working but still poor. And that's really a tragic, tragic situation. And, and then it sort of puts to context how how this how how this uh, crisis has exerted human suffering and has really set us back by a long shot. That's a critical point to reflect on, um, because I think that this problem is going to have long-term impact on everyday people. Indeed. Picture, picture it this way. Uh, I mean, many, many of the people in the audience will have seen pictures of, of uh, famine, of the conditions of what, what uh, people are facing in, in rural Africa. I mean, quite often we see too many of these depressing picture, pictures on the Indeed, TVs. But there's a, and and it's, it, it can be a bit demeaning, unfortunately, but, but certainly... There's a certain truth to this. So, so you see people who are working hard, trying to survive on their little plots of land, doing subsistence agriculture or similar things. Now, the tragedy is these people are, or many of these, most of these people are formally counted as being employed, even though they don't have a formal job, they don't have a massive business or anything like that. But because they're doing these activities to survive, to earn a little bit of cash, they are by definition employed. And of course, the conditions are, of employment are harder than any of us usually would be able to, to fathom. I mean, it, we're talking about real adversity. And despite this drudgery, despite this hard labor, they're still poor. And I find this incredibly tragic. It's incredibly unfair, of course, on many levels. And, and, and to see this rate of working poverty to go up again just because of the pandemic, it really shows how this global event really has massive impact on, on working people on the ground. And then, and again, the most vulnerable often we find here in Africa, and, and they will be the even more hard struck by it. No, that's very true, and that's very well said. What, what are your thoughts on that stat, Lasejo? I think, you know, the stats are very scary, especially when we start talking about, you know, working poor, um, working poor people. I think the whole informal sector in Africa has the way it's been taken. It gives false hope sometimes about what is happening because um, poverty is real in Africa. You know, I guess that, that brings us back to the whole question of industrialization. How does then Africa come out of the whole, um, you know, raw material focused industries and 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 start looking at um economies that will actually bring them up into the future and start industrializing um as the western world has done because um you know as we see like uh brent has said because richer nations had this cushion to be able to bring um the economies out of the recession were they seeing as striving and moving along with the pandemic Whereas in Africa, because we are still so primitive in terms of our dependency on primary goods for uh, for our economies, it is becoming a problem. I think the whole continent now has to work itself out from being a primary producer 
to being, you know, economies of industrialized goods, because that is the only way we're going to curb this whole uh, working poor situation and, you know, start seeing the Southern Africa working up there, working down their unemployment rates. Um, you know, we need to start having um, jobs that or education that is aligned to the type of jobs that we need and not what we have been doing all along. So I think the Southern Africa and or Africa as a whole still has a long way to go. But, you know, there's hope always <laughs> to see um, how we can do all of this. And hopefully, you know, in time to come, we'll be talking again about the steady decline um, of working poor jobs. I think that's a very good point, let's say, and I think that's something that um, COVID-19 has placed, you know, a greater emphasis on what it means to be an African worker, what it means to be a vulnerable worker, how, what does productive employment look like? Um, and these are questions I think have broader policy implications because I think mm-hmm. more carefully about, you know, the health you know, our U.S. policy on health or U.S. policy on advancing our um, our our approach to strengthening uh, institutions. I always wonder how that can how we can accomplish that when everyday people are not working or everyday people are not mm-hmm. earning a, a a living wage. And so I think I think Vern, you you raised that you know how un- employment issues are at the core to broader socioeconomic issues. And that with COVID-19, what we have done is really underscored how vulnerable people are and our ability to affect change and bring about change is definitely um, pulled back or undermined because of, you know, this pandemic that has had such a unique but impact, but one that's broad and is felt by everyone. Indeed, um, you know, and I guess exactly what you just said in your reflections, how do we begin to interrogate some of these questions um, like health when the everyday issues remain, uh, you know, where do I get my next meal? Um, so I think we still have quite a bit to go, but it is good to have these platforms to engage on these because, hey, Great ideas come out from platforms like these. Indeed. And Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, and if I may, I I, I very much agree with Lisef on that. I like the the way you looked at it. Sure, we can lament of how how appalling the situation is right now, but but I think when we do so, we also need to look at the more positive side of how do we find a way out of this. And Lisef touched on on a few very important points there. Uh, the whole thing about industrialization, industrialization, sorry, and effectively changing the structure of the of African economies so that they can create productive and decent employment for their people. Now, industrialization surely is an important route. I would maybe say it can also be in other sectors beyond industry, beyond manufacturing, although always we would expect that that will be a mainstay in that regard. But overall, this requires a process that we would call structure transformation. So that indeed, as Sefo described, moving the economies away from primary production, from commodity dependence, towards higher value added, higher productivity jobs, and then production and economic activities. 
so that people can move from these very uh, basic type of employment conditions up the ladder towards better employment. And that is so vital. But to, for that to happen, it is very clear that we need very concerted uh, governments uh, initiatives. We know from history and from other experiences across the, the globe that this doesn't happen automatically. It needs maybe what you would call sector policies or industrial policies. It needs stimulus for the right sectors to grow, and these sectors will be different from country to country. It needs the right macroeconomic framework for that investment to happen so that these sectors can grow, so that also foreign investors can come in and, and, and help in growing these sectors, like very often or has happened in many Asian countries, for example. So all of that is needed, and I think ILO is trying to help many African governments in, in, in pushing that envelope a little bit, to moving forward on that structured transformation trajectory. And, and yeah, we can, I'm sure, talk a bit in a bit more detail about that. No, that I'm like, I like how we ended on a positive note, on a, a very difficult and a topic that's actually on the face value, but even beyond that, it's actually quite sad. Um, and it's one that we are, you know, struggling with even the United States to deal with and try to think more carefully about how do we um, think more creatively, but more strategically, how to address, you know, um, the impacts of COVID-19. So um, I think that um, I think the conversation will have to continue. And by, I think that's one that I'm glad we're having and one that we need to have, particularly a conversation that focuses on African workers. The Leading Labor Podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Department of State and the Virtual Student Federal Service Program. Leading Labor seeks to expand awareness on the impact of labor on broader socioeconomic issues and to demonstrate why Southern African voices are leading labor.